millennium Something will come along When you feel it you will know it Cause it's coming on strong That thing, that thing, that thing With James Sit back, relax Something so special growing deep within you That thing, that thing, that thing with James That thing, that thing, that thing with James That's me Welcome to episode 56 of That Thing with James J. Asher II. I'm your host, James J. Asher II. That's me. This is episode 56 of That Thing with James J. Asher II, hosted by James J. Asher II. Yes, that's me, and I feel like playing a bit more. Let's start that over. Is this day three of quarantine? How much longer is it going to last? The walls feel like they're closing in. Welcome to quarantine. Wow, a lot of shit's happened since uh, last week. Let me tell you, you probably already know. What is it? It's the fucking end of the world as we know it. You know, it's the apocalypse. And apocalypse doesn't mean the end of the world. Like like it's not going to exist anymore. It's just a, a Greek 
word for like a lifting of a veil, a revealing of some hidden truth or some misunderstood truth. And now a lot of people are having a sort of apocalypse in their personal lives with the uh, with everything, you know, the their wages have stopped, their jobs may have stopped, but the bill collectors are still collecting, baby. They still want their fucking money. Landlord wants rent. The loners want your money. Uh, yeah. And a lot of people are really fucking pissed off. And on top of that, people are getting sick. People are dying. What a fucking weird an exciting time to be alive. Exciting doesn't necessarily mean enjoyable or joyful. Exciting in that this is a truly novel period, at least in our lives. I mean, I've already, I'm only 32. I've seen 9-11. I've seen... Never-ending wars start. I've seen friends go off on those and fight in those wars and come back as completely different people. Uh, Totally fucking warped. Some of them become radically uh, leftist. Some become radically right-wing patriotic. And some just don't give a fuck about anything. Some are just utterly nihilistic um yeah and now we've got a a novel virus which has grown into a pandemic and we have and it is testing and revealing the many 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 weaknesses of our current political economic structure in the United States and abroad. People, it seems, are starting to get some kind of class consciousness as they watch the TV and their fucking money has stopped and maybe they have a cough or something and they're afraid to go to the fucking doctor or to the hospital because they don't want to have to get stuck with a fucking medical bill and they don't know if maybe they're going to fucking die because if maybe they have a virus, maybe they don't. Who knows? There's not even a fucking test around to be seen. And, and they, you know, even if there are tests, the person might not want to go to the doctor because they don't want to get stuck with a bill, which will essentially be yet a different kind of death sentence because it's too fucking expensive to get some sort of health care. It's too fucking expensive to get scraps of what should be your human fucking right. Interesting times we're living in, huh? Interesting times. Hmm. Let's see. Oh God, I was, I was writing about this. Let me grab my notebook real quick. I'll be right back. All right. Found my notebook. Here we go. Um, March 19th, 2020 Thursday, uh, 10 22 PM. Things aren't looking great for the Sanders campaign. Things aren't looking great anywhere in the U S of a coronavirus has quickly become a pandemic that doesn't look like it'll be leaving anytime soon. It may even be around for several months. Meanwhile, the entire capitalist economy has come to a screeching halt. Uh, Many are ill and dying. Many more have lost employment or income. Yet the bill collectors are still collecting and thousands are suddenly illuminated with a very pissed off class consciousness. Watching ads on the TV is fucking insulting. I've been seeing people finally talking about it online. How, you know, talking about um, celebrities going on social media like, crying and literally crying and whining about having to be in quarantine in their fucking mansions. And so many people are commenting, oh, oh, I'm so fucking sorry. How many people, how many homeless people do you think you could fit in that house of yours, huh? 
very pissed off class consciousness. That's not in my notebook. That was just me riffing here. Um, the bill collectors are still collecting. And thousands are suddenly illuminated with a very pissed off class consciousness. It looks like a plot to a novel, seeing it all written out like this. But it's real. It's like the Spanish flu and the Great Depression, all wrapped up in one. During a big election year, shops, restaurants, and bars are closed and many cities. Two baleful new terms have become the norm in everyone's lives, self-quarantine and the even more ominous sounding social distancing. Meanwhile, the centrists, the leaders of the Democratic Party, are proving themselves to be as dangerously incompetent as always, leaving an obvious avenue for right-wing extremists in the Republican Party to offer populist solutions to very clear and present populist problems. It's a damn close a recreation of how fascists came to power in Europe after World War One, And the leftists, the only people willing and able to fight the fascists, have all but been completely hobbled by the centrists. Why is it that centrism, time and time again, so easily bends toward fascism? And here I am, along with an army of isolated individuals with fewer fucks than I ever thought myself capable of giving in regards to conventional civility. Is this how it feels to be radicalized? Hmm. Possibly. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah, things are definitely weird, and who knows what's going to happen. We're still in primary season. I've kind of just been hooked on the news because of it. Um, independent news, of course. Um, and, you know, I'll check in on um, your mainstream news places to see what the fuck they're talking about, but whatever. Um, yeah, who the fuck knows what's going to happen next? So in light of all this, I decided to start rereading The Stand by Stephen King. Uh, for those of you listening, I'm holding up a copy of The Stand uh, and the it's, it's a paperback and the front face paper cover is just gone. I don't know where it went. This book is beat up. Uh, let's see. Signet, New American Library. Uh, what year is this one published? This one is 1980 publication. Uh, looks like the original copyright was 1978. Wow, Mr. King, how prescient of you as, well, yet again. Um, I want to read a little bit. I want to read a little bit of it, huh? You, you, you want some story time? Hmm? Hmm? You want a story time? <clears throat> let me find where I was and let me get a sip of tea real quick. Don't mind the silence. It's not like you've got anywhere to go. <laughs> mm. Okay. Chapter two. There was a long rock pier running out on t into the Atlantic Ocean from the Ogunquit Main Town Beach. Today, it reminded her of an accusatory gray finger, and when Franny Goldsmith parked her car in the public lot, she could see Jess sitting out on the end of it, just a silhouette in the afternoon sunlight. Gulls wheeled and cried above him, a New England portrait drawn in real life, and she doubted if any gull would dare spoil it by dropping a splat of white doo-doo on Jess Ryder's immaculate blue chambray work shirt. After all, he was a practicing poet. She knew it was Jess because his 10-speed was bolted to the iron railing that ran behind the park, parking attendant's building. Gus, a balding, paunchy town figure, was coming out to meet her. The fee for visitors was a dollar a car, but he knew Franny lived in a town blah, 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 blah. but he knew Franny lived in town without bothering to look at the residence sticker on the corner of her Volvo's windshield Fran came here a lot <clears throat> sure I do Fran thought in fact I got pregnant right down there on the beach just about 12 feet above the high tide line dear lump 
You were conceived on the scenic coast of Maine, 12 feet above the high tide line and 20 yards east of the seawall. X marks the spot. Gus raised his hand toward her, making a peace sign. You fellas out on the end of the pier, Ms. Goldsmith? Er, oh, here it is. Your fellas out at the end of the pier, Ms. Goldsmith. Thanks, Gus. How's business? He waved smilingly at the parking lot. There were maybe two dozen cars in all, and she could see blue and white residence stickers on most of them. Not much trade this early, he said. It was June 17th. Wait two weeks and we'll make some town and we'll make the town some money. I'll bet, if you don't embezzle it all. Gus laughed and went back inside. Franny leaned one arm on the warm metal of her car, took off her sneakers, and put on a pair of rubber thongs. She was a tall girl with chestnut hair that fell halfway down the back of her buff-colored shirt she was wearing. Good figure, long legs that got uh, appreciative glances. Prime stuff was the correct frat house term, she believed. Looky, 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 here comes Nookie, Miss College Girl 1985. Then she had to laugh at herself, and laugh was, and the laugh was only a trifle bitter. You are carrying on, she told herself, as if this were the news of the world. Chapter 6. Hester brings the news of Pearl's impending arrival to Reverend Dimsdale Dimsdale. He wasn't. He was Jess Ryder, age 20, one year younger than our heroine, Little Fran. He was a practicing college student undergraduate poet. <clears throat> you could tell by his immaculate blue chambray work shirt. She paused at the edge of the sand, feeling the good heat baking the soles of her feet even through the rubber thongs. The silhouette at the far end of the pier was still tossing small rocks into the water. Her thought was partly amusing, but mostly dismaying. He knows what he looks like out there, she thought. Lord Byron, lonely but unafraid, sitting in a lonely solitude and surveying the sea which leads him back, back to where England lies. But I, an exile, may never... Oh, balls! It wasn't so much the thought that disturbed her as what it indicated about her own state of mind. The young man she assumed she loved was sitting out there, and she was standing here caricaturing him behind his back. She began to walk out along the pier, picking her way with careful grace over the rocks and crevices. It was an old pier, once part of a breakwater. Now most of the boats tied up on the southern end of town, where there were three marinas and seven honky-tonk motels that boomed all summer, all summer long. <clears throat> she walked slowly, trying her best to cope with the thought that she might have fallen out of love with him in the space of the eleven days she had known she was a little bit preggers, in the, world, in the words of Amy Lauder. Well... He had gotten her into that condition, hadn't he? But not alone, that was for sure. And she had been on the pill. That had been the simplest thing in the world. She'd gone to the campus infirmary, told the doctor she was having painful menstruation and all sorts of embarrassing uh, erectations on her skin, and the doctor had written her a prescription. In fact, he had given her a month of freebies. <clears throat> she stopped again, out over the water now, the waves beginning to break toward the beach on her right and left. It occurred to her that the infirmary doctors probably heard about painful menstruation and too many pimples about as often as druggists heard about how I gotta buy these condoms for my brother, even more often in this day and age. She could just as easily have gone to him and said, Give me the pill, I'm gonna fuck. She was of age, why be coy? She looked at Jessie's back and sighed. Because coyness gets to be a way of life. She began to walk again. Anyway, the pill hadn't worked. Somebody in the quality control department at the jolly old Orville, or yeah, Ovril factory, had been asleep at the switch. 
Either that or she had forgotten a pill and then had forgotten she'd forgotten. She walked softly up behind him and laid both hands on his shoulders. Jess, who had been holding his rocks in his left hand and plunking them into the Mother Atlantic with his right, let out a scream and lurched to his feet. Pebbles scattered everywhere, and he almost knocked Franny off the side and into the water. He almost went in himself, head first. She started to giggle helplessly and backed away with her hands over her mouth as he turned furiously around, a well-built young man with black hair, gold-rimmed glasses, oh, as he turned around, (laughs) a well-built young man uh, with black hair, gold-rimmed glasses, and regular features which, to Jess's eternal discomfort, would never quite reflect the sensitivity inside him. You scared the hell out of me, he roared. Oh, Jess, she giggled. Jess, oh, Jess, I'm sorry, but that was funny. It was, it really was. We almost fell into the water, he said, taking a resentful step toward her. She took a step backwards to compensate, tripped over a rock, and sat down hard. Her jaws clicked together hard with her tongue between them. Exquisite pain. And she stopped giggling as if the sound had been cut off with a knife. The very fact of her sudden silence, you turn me off, I'm the radio, seemed funniest of all, and she began to giggle again, in spite of the fact that her tongue was bleeding and tears of pain were streaming from her eyes. You okay, Franny? He knelt beside her, concerned. I do love him, she thought with some relief. Good thing for me. Did you hurt yourself, Fran? Only my pride, she said, letting him help her up. And I bit my tongue, see? She ran it out for him, expecting to get a smile as a reward, but he frowned. Jesus, Fran, you're really bleeding. He pulled a handkerchief out of his back pocket and looked at it doubtfully, then put it back. The image of the two of them walking hand in hand back to the parking lot came to her. Young lovers over a summer sun, her with his handkerchief stuffed in her mouth. She raises her hand to the smiling, benevolent attendant and says, She began to giggle again, even though her tongue did hurt and there was a bloody taste in her mouth that was a little nauseating. Look the other way, she said primly. I'm going to be unladylike. Smiling a little, he theatrically covered his eyes, propped one arm up, as she stuck her head off the side of the pier and spat bright red. Ugh! Again and again. At last, her mouth seemed clear, and she looked around to see him peeking through his fingers. I'm sorry, she said. I'm such an asshole. No, Jessie said, obviously meaning yes. Could we get an ice cream, she asked. You drive, I'll buy. That's a deal. He got to his feet and helped her up. She spat over the side again, bright red. Apprehensively, Fran asked him, I didn't bite any of it off, did I? I don't know, Jess answered pleasantly. Did you swallow a lump? She put a revolted hand to her mouth. That's not funny. No, I'm sorry. You just bit it a bit, Franny. Are there any arteries in a person's tongue? They were walking back along the pier now, hand in hand. She paused every now and then to spit over the side, bright red. She wasn't going to swallow any of that stuff. Uh Uh-uh. No way. Nope. Good. She squeezed his hand and smiled at him reassuringly. I'm pregnant. Really? That's good. Do you know who I saw in port? He stopped and looked at her, his face suddenly inflexible and very, very careful. It broke her heart a little to see that weariness there. What did you say? I'm pregnant. She smiled at him brightly and then spat over the side of the pier, bright red. Ha ha, big joke, Franny, he said uncertain, uncertainly. No joke. He kept looking at her. After a while, they started walking again. As they crossed the parking lot, Gus came out and waved to them. Franny waved back. So did Jess. They stopped at the Dairy Queen on US-1. Jess got a Coke and sat sipping it uh, thoughtfully behind the Volvo's wheel. Fran, against the, her door, two feet of seat between them, spooning up nuts and pineapple sauce and ersatz Dairy Queen ice cream. You know, she said, 
DQ ice cream is mostly bubbles. Did you know that? Lots of people don't. Turning the page, having difficulty doing that. Jess looked at her and said nothing. Truth, she said. The ice cream machines are really nothing but giant bubble machines. That's how Dairy Queen can sell their ice cream so cheap. We had an off-print about it in Business Theory. There are many ways to defer a feline. Jess looked at her and said nothing. Now, if you want real ice cream, you have to go to some place like a Deering ice cream shop, and that's... She burst into tears. He slid across the seat to her and put his arms around her neck. Franny, don't do that, please. My banana boat is dripping on me, she said, still weeping. His handkerchief came out again, and he mopped her off. By then, her tears had trailed off to sniffles. Banana boat supreme with blood sauce, she said, looking at him with red eyes. I guess I can't eat anymore. I'm sorry, Jess. Would you throw it away? Sure, he said stiffly. He took it from her, got out, and tossed it in the waste can. He was walking funny, Fran thought, as if he had been hit something hard, hit as if he had been hit hard down low where it hurts boys. In a way, she supposed that was just where he had been hit. But if you wanted to look at it another way, well, that was just about the way she had walked after he had taken her virginity on the beach. She had felt like she had a case of diaper rash. Only diaper rash didn't make you preggers. He came back and got in. Are you really, Fran? He asked abruptly. I am, really. How did it happen? I thought you were on the pill. Well, I what I figure is, one, somebody in the quality control department of the jolly old or, or, or Avril Factory, easy for that to say, Avril Factory was asleep at the switch when my batch of pills went through the conveyor belt or two. They are feeding you guys something in the UNH mess hall that builds up sperm or three. I forgot to take a pill and have since forgotten I forgot. She offered him a hard, thin, sunny smile that he recoiled from just a bit. What are you mad about, Fran? I just asked. Well, to answer your question in a different way, on a warm night in April, it must have been the 12th, 13th, or 14th, you put your penis in my vagina and had an orgasm, thus ejaculating sperm by the millions. Stop it, he said sharply. You don't have to. To what? Outwardly stony. She was dismayed inside. In all her imaginings of how the scene might play, she never, she had never seen it quite like this. To be so mad, he said lamely. I'm not going to run out on you. No, she said more softly. At this point, she could have plucked one of his hands off the wheel, held it, healed and breech, healed the breach entirely. But she couldn't make herself do it. He had no business wanting to be comforted, no matter how tacit or unconscious his wanting was. She suddenly realized, one way or another, the laughs and good times were over for a while. That made her want to cry again, and she staved the tears off grimly. She was Granny, Franny Goldsmith, Peter, Peter Goldsmith's daughter, and she wasn't going to sit in the parking lot of the Agonquit Dairy Queen crying her damn stupid eyes out. What do you want to do? Jess asked, getting out his cigarettes. What do you want to do? He struck a light, and for just a moment, as cigarette smoke rafted up, as she clearly saw a man and a boy fighting for control of the same face. Oh, hell, he said. The choices as I see them, she said. We can get married and keep the baby. We can get married and give the baby up. Or we don't get married and I keep the baby. Or... Franny, or we don't get married, and I don't, don't keep the baby, or I could get an abortion. Does that cover everything? Have I left anything out? Franny, can't we just talk? We are talking, she flashed at him. You had your chance, and you said, oh, hell, your exact words. I have just outlined all of the possible choices. Of course, I've had a little more time to work up an agenda. You want a cigarette? No! 
They're bad for the baby. Franny, goddammit, why are you shouting? She asks softly. Why are you shouting? She asks softly. Because you seem determined to aggravate me as much as you can, Jess said hotly. He controlled himself. I'm sorry, I just can't think of any of this as my fault. You can't? She looked at him with a cocked eyebrow. And behold, a virgin shall conceive. What? Do you have to be so goddamn flip? You have the pill, you said. I took your word. Was I so wrong? No, you weren't so wrong. But that doesn't change the fact. I guess not, he said gloomily and pitched his cigarette out half-smoked. So what do we do? You keep asking me, Jesse. I just outlined the choices as I see them. I thought you might have some ideas. There's suicide, but I'm not considering it at this point. So pick the other choice you like, and we'll talk about it. Let's get married, he said in a sudden strong voice. He had the air of a man who was decided that who has decided that the best way to solve the Gordian knot problem would be to hack right down through the middle of it, full speed ahead, and get the whiners below decks. No, she said, I don't want to marry you. It was as if his face was held together by a number of unseen bolts, and each of them had suddenly been loosened to a, loosened a turn and a half. Everything sagged at once. The image was so cruelly comical that she had to rub her wounded tongue against the rough top of her mouth to keep from getting the giggles again. She didn't want to laugh at Jess. Why not? he asked. Fran, I have to think of my reasons why not. I'm not going to let you draw me into discussion of my reasons why not, because right now I don't want to. You don't love me, he said sulkily. In most cases, love and marriage are mutually exclusive states. Pick another choice. He was silent for a long time. He fiddled with a fresh cigarette, but didn't light it. At last, he said, I can't pick another choice, Franny, because you don't want to discuss this. You want to score points off me. That touched her a little bit. She nodded. Maybe you're right. I've had a few scored off me in the last couple of weeks. Now you, Jess, you're Joe College all the way. If a mugger came at you with a knife, you'd want to convene a seminar on the spot. Oh, for God's sake, pick another choice. No, you've got your responses all figured out. Maybe I need a little time to think, too. Okay, would you take us back to the parking lot? I'll drop you off and do some errands. He gazed at her, startled. Franny, I rode my bike all the way down from Portland. I've got a room at a motel outside of town. I thought we were going to spend the weekend together. In your motel room, no doubt. No, Jess, the situation has changed. You just get back on your 10-speed and bike back to Portland, and you get in touch when you've thought about this a little more. No great hurry. Stop riding me, Franny. No, Jess. You were the one who rode me, she jeered in sudden furious anger, and that was when he slapped her lightly, backhanded on the cheek. He stared at her. Wait, he slapped, yeah, yeah, he slapped her. <laughs> he stared at her, stunned. I'm sorry, Fran. Accepted, she said colorlessly. Drive on. Well, I really fucked up that moment. <laughs> I'll be right back. I'm thirsty. And I'm back. This is a nice little uh, break I had there. So, it, that was interesting. Um, that was an interesting excerpt from the book, The Stand. If you're not familiar with it, I um, check it out. It's about a super flu that wipes out over 90% of the Earth's human population. And uh, the surviving people have to survive. It, it follows basically uh, a whole cast of characters who break off into two separate groups. Um, one is kind of on a death trip, and the other is sort of on a life trip. Uh, that's the terminology that King uses in the book. Um, which I like, a death trip and a life trip. 
And, um, it's, you know, it's a pretty cool metaphor because one group of people wants to harness the power of uh, nuclear weapons while the other group is about kind of getting along together and surviving and helping one another. And that's kind of very similar to what's happening right now. We have this super virus that is wiping people out. It's a culling of the human population, if you will. And um, as horrible as it is, you know, as destructive and nerve wracking as it is, I cannot help but also view it as kind of a good necessary thing. As an individual who has gone through some shit in his life, I'm sure everyone goes through some shit in their lives, um, at different stages in their lives. But um, I always try to find some lesson in the challenges that life presents. And right now, I feel like the virus and the recession that will most likely, I think, become a depression um, that much of the world is facing, at least the Western world that I'm aware of, um, it's sort of a, a macro experience, you know, as above, so below. It's a macro life challenge. It's a macro challenge that we can all learn from. And it seems like so many people are learning some truth that they had either previously just not been aware of or had been distracted from or had willingly ignored some truths about the nature of their lives. Um, so many people are losing their jobs and some people are keeping their jobs. Right now we're seeing uh, delivery people, grocery store workers, etc., etc. They are essential workers, and so many people are viewed as low skill, low wage, expendable people. Well, it turns out when the shit hits the fan, they still have a fucking job, and we need them. And there's a lot of people figuring out um, they're not getting their money's worth. They're not getting paid as much as they deserve for the labor they do and certainly for the risk that they are taking by working and interacting with so many different people during a pandemic like this. And there are other people who are figuring out how just how much just bullshit existed in their jobs. People who have to commute 2 hours or more most days of the week for work, people who have to go to meetings, all these things are canceled with so many people being required to work from home. And so many people are figuring out, wait, I can do my, do my job just fine from home. I, why didn't I even think of getting to do this from home? Or perhaps some people had been trying to uh, get their boss to let them work from home and the bosses wouldn't let them. And why is that? It's because of trust and it's because of control. If you want to work from home and the boss isn't letting you, well, pre-pandemic, it's just your boss's Fear. It's your boss's need for control. It's your boss wanting to make sure that you're keeping busy. And what is the fucking point of staying so busy all the fucking time? You don't need all these meetings. We have technology. You don't need to work in the fucking office. You can work remotely. And we're working remotely and not commuting. People are finding they have extra time in their day. They're finding that, oh, actually, they do their job better and more efficiently without having to deal with all of the shit that comes along with working in the office. If you're an office worker, if you're fortunate enough to still have a job, I have several friends who are now out of a job. I know several people who worked at bars uh, that are now just completely shut down and won't be opening, will not be opening again. It's so fucking weird. And, and everyone 
still has to pay the fucking bills and they should not have to right now. And yet again, this is an apocalypse. It's a lifting of the veil. People are seeing how, how it really is, how it really be. You know what I mean? And also, everyone's quarantined now, well, supposed to be quarantined and doing social distancing, which means like you don't get within like six feet of another person or whatever. And um, people are finding out how important community is, how important human connection is. And people are also getting really horny. I swear to God, I think there is going to be a baby boom in December because this is the third month of the year. This is when the quarantine started and so many people are locked in so many people can't go out. So many people are just bored at home. Maybe they call someone up. I know personally, um, I'm on a few dating apps and they like, you know, I, I was, no one was really like replying to me on the dating apps. Like I wasn't getting matches or anything before. And then all this shit happened. And now it's like, my shit is popping off. Like there's a lot of people hitting me up like, yo, yo, DTF. Like, here's some dirty fucking pictures. Just give me some dirty fucking pictures. And I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do this. And everyone's getting really fucking horny. I swear to God, that's just how it is. I mean, I'm horny all the time anyway, but I know just like being locked up makes me even more horny. And I'm sure it's like for you, I've been talking to other people. I told them that and they're like, yeah, same thing for me. I'm fucking... I'm dying. I need dick. I need vagina. I need butthole. I need mouth. I need hugs. We all need a fucking hug. We're we're physical beings. We're tactile beings, and uh, and we're getting really fucking horny because we don't have the option of going out. I can tell you that uh, before when I had the option of going out to like a bar or something, I was fine staying home. I was fine with it most of the time, most of the time. But now that that option is gone for who knows how long, the, uh, unforeseeable future. I I don't know when the bars are going to be able to open up. I know there was a mandate made in Austin that bars and dine-in restaurants, uh, you can still do takeout, but dine-in are closed for the next two months. And who knows if it's might end up being longer or who knows if it might end up being shorter. No one knows, but I know that now that the option of going out is out, I don't feel so okay. I don't feel so fine about staying home now that the option's gone. It's like, fuck, I don't want to stay in. I want to go do something. So, you know, I tried hitting some people up saying like, yo, you want to do something this weekend? And I got some angry replies like, I'm in, I'm in isolation. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yo, I get it. I get it. Um, I was just suggesting like maybe like a walk, go to, to a park and walk, you know, keep six feet distance, social distancing, but just get out, have someone, a new face to chat with, to stay sane. Because I know... I, I work from home anyway already, and I know I know all about the benefits of getting to work from home. Trust me, but I also know the 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 uh, the difficulties of working from home. It gets fucking lonely, and you get stir crazy like all the fucking time. And now I'm seeing other people going stir crazy, and I'm like, <laughs> you have no idea. I've been stir crazy for a long fucking time. And horny. And um, that's what all this is about. So I think it's interesting that um, the excerpt I read from The Stand happened to be about a pregnancy that's going to come uh, happen during a, uh, a plague. And when I first cracked open the book, I, w- I wasn't sure what was going to come up, but I was hoping it would be something kind of gruesome, um, you know, corpses and stuff like that. But I guess the scene was even more gruesome because it's these, these people, these young people don't know that shit's about to go down in a serious way. And now we got a bunch of, I swear to God, just watch, just wait in December. There is going to be a baby boom, November, December, January, however long, I guess, November, if they're preemies, there's going to be a baby boom. Uh, due to this quarantine. And, um, you know, people are 
experiencing real horny hours, which is the title of this episode. I'm going to call it that. And, um, you know, that, that's, it's going to happen. Who knows? Who knows what the world's going to be like? Is this culling going to keep going? I've heard talk that the virus isn't even started yet. It's not even going to really start to get bad until next month, April. And the shit's just beginning. But that's just hearsay. Who knows? I've also heard say that maybe um, martial law will be put in place for the entire U.S. any day now. Again, that's just hearsay. There are a million things you will hear, a million rumors floating around, but you never know. It's this person heard from this person heard from this person, that blah. You don't know what's really going to happen next. And that scares a lot of people. But frankly, I kind of love it. I kind of love it. As a person who, um, like, I've got just got one of my superpowers is being able to like pick up on patterns. So I'm able to kind of usually pick out what's going to happen in the future. I'm not a hundred percent right all the time, but I'm generally, I, I'd say more often than not, I, you know, I guess correctly just because I pick up on patterns, I guess, and, and other things, um, the voices in my head. <clears throat> watching the shining would be a great thing i'm gonna watch parasite after this i'm trying to like wrap this episode up as soon as possible this is gonna be a short episode um <clears throat> probably probably who knows if i think of something else to talk about um, oh yeah, real quick before I forget, since it just came to my mind, uh, the very short stories that I'm doing on my Patreon, I'm still doing them. Although originally I said I was going to do them once weekly, although I've ended up just doing them bi-weekly. So clearly, um, it's more, uh, natural for me to do it bi-weekly instead of every week. So, so that's that. On the Patreon, on my Patreon, patreon.com slash that thing with James, I have very short stories that I publish every other week. The latest one is called Inauguration Day, and it is a sci-fi. It's a serious sci-fi, and it's a short one. It's a couple pages, but it is nonetheless a sci-fi. Very interesting, very pertinent, very relevant for out of times right now. Yeah, yeah, this virus, COVID-19, coronavirus. Why did they call it coronavirus? Did someone just not like the beer? I mean, it's not It's not great, sorry. I mean, I don't expect to get fucking sponsorship from Corona brand beer anytime soon, so. And um, anyway, yeah, class consciousness is blowing up. I can't fucking wait for the revolution. And a lot of people are seeing, you know, truth in their lives. A lot of people are getting a more free time. A lot of people are finding that they're happier, even though the plague is running through and money is kind of scary. At the same time, people are um, being shown um, truths about their lives. People are reevaluating um, their priorities and, you know, in my eyes, oh, I should make the next episode about this. Um, we shouldn't have to work so much. I don't think we should have to work so much. And there's a lot of research out there that mm, indicates that people shouldn't have to work so much anymore at all. Anyone, anyone. And that you certainly should not have to work all the fucking time to be able to afford a comfortable and safe um, and happy life. Um, we've just all kind of been caught up in this long, recurring, self-sustaining con by the people 
who hold the power. People that I talked about in the last episode, entitled Propaganda. If you haven't watched it, I really recommend it. I really recommend it. It's very educational. Um, but yeah, I even came across an article about a study. Um, just I read this, came across it earlier today about how students perform better. Um, they're, they're, they become less depressed and anxious and they perform better in school if school starts at 10 a.m. as opposed to 7 or 8 a.m. And I think that goes for everybody. Surprise, surprise, humans are animals. Surprise, surprise, we're creatures. Surprise, surprise, everybody does and feels and behaves better when we're well-rested, when we're well-fed, nutritious, nutritious food, uh, and when we have our basic securities met food, you know, the whole base of Maslow's period, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you're un unfamiliar, look that up. Um, these things are, I feel, human rights, not just for in the United States, but I think they should be for the entire planet. Uh, shelter, food, drink, have your basic needs met so you don't have to live in fear quite so much. So many, I, 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 I believe the worst yet most frequently prominent aspects of life for so, so many people uh, is rooted in fear, others' fear, one's own fear, all of these decisions made out of fear, all of these opinions and perspectives made out of fear, 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 fear. Fear is the mind killer. It's the little death that brings total obliteration. I will not fear. I will let it pass over me and through me. And when it has gone, I will look in its path and only I will exist. That's, that's the litany of feared, a very uh, bastardized version of it. I don't have it perfectly memorized, but that's the litany of fear from the wonderful book by Frank Herbert called Dune. Um, yeah, uh, it's getting a bit later. I'm kind of running out of time or actually running out of things to talk about. So I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, thanks for tuning in. I, Sorry if this was kind of a not great episode, but you can't win them all, you know? I, I, you deserve a break. I, too, deserve a break. And I'm bringing you this show every week for, for free, you know? But I do have a couple donors whom I am very, very, very grateful to. Thank you both so much. And for any of the rest of you, you are welcome to become donors because... One, you'd get to help out and show support for a, uh, a fellow or, or stranger who hopefully is bringing you some type of entertainment, some type of enlightenment, some type of education, some type of comfort. Um, me with the show, I hope the show does that for you. And um, you can show your appreciation. And if you become a donor at my Patreon, which by the way is patreon.com slash that thing with James. If you become a patron, a donor, you will get access to the very short stories. They're exclusive. So if you're not a patron, you can't read them. I'm sorry. But if you want to go to patreon.com slash that thing with James and become a donor, and I understand things are tight for everyone right now. And I well, I'd be lying if I said I'd feel bad about asking for this. But if you're able to, um, I've got a, a donation tier that is just a dollar a month, a dollar, one dollar a month. Um, even if you do that, if you feel like it, um, even with that, you will get access to the very short stories. And if you don't feel like it, don't worry. But if you'd still want to um, say hi 
or just reach out and say something nice or supportive. Or if you have a topic or a story you would like me to cover on the show, or if you have some um, information on resources that I can share with people on the show and on my social media accounts, uh, resources to help people who are struggling uh, during this extraordinary, unprecedented time, um, you can send me an email at uh, that thing with James at gmail.com. Reach out. Yeah, if, if you have some information on something that can help people out, I would be more than happy to disseminate it and, and help spread the word however I can. Uh, or if you want, you can uh, reach out. You can slide into my DMs on Instagram and Twitter. My handle is at James J. Asher. I usually post like an Instagram story a day. And I've been tweeting a little more lately just because I, I've been staying off Facebook for two or three weeks and I'm really not missing it. That shit was fucking making me uh, stressed out because people on there are fucking stressed out. Uh, let's see what else. Um, I have a website, jamesjasher.com. Uh, la la la. What else? Uh, for the listeners, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show, rate and review. For the YouTube viewers, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to my channel, like the videos you like, write a comment, and for all of you, share the show with your friends, your family, your loved ones, the ones you hate, uh, your 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 coworkers, your ex coworkers, your your roommates, strangers, everybody. Share this show with everybody. Spread the love like butter from a safe social distance. Be good. Stay safe. Don't be ashamed of asking for help if you need it. We are all in this together. Look up mutual aid. That's not a thing. It's a concept. Look up the concept mutual aid and also look up the concept Peter Kropotkin. K-R-O-P-O-T Kropotkin. Peter Kropotkin. Um, really interesting stuff. It's not so much about survival of the fittest. Like a lot of people attribute, well, I mean, um, a lot of people think that, oh God, what's his name? Darwin, you know, the evolution guy, Charles Darwin. A lot of people think that survival of the fittest was his original, like the thing he settled on for what uh, ad uh, adaptation and evolution is predicated upon. But later he came around and said, that's not really the case. And a lot of people are misusing that line. It's not so much survival of the fittest really it's more survival of the luckiest and those who are lucky enough to support one another survive together as peter kropotkin observed um he observed nature he wrote many books and he was also a kind of contemporary of karl marx and he and marx very 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 much influenced each other's philosophies of mutual aid Together we survive. Um, yeah, so this this episode was just kind of whatever because everyone's in a bit of shock. I'm still in a bit of shock. Real horny hours too. Um, but I'm going to actually do some thinking and some writing since I've got a little more extra time and nowhere to really go now. Um, so in the next episode, I think I want to talk about how I wish things were. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in. I love you all. Stay safe. You're not alone. We're in this together. See you next week. <laughs>